calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You finally made it. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I startle you? I have been waiting for this moment with you all of your life. No, you are not dead. Not for a long while yet. When? I'm afraid there is no simple answer to that. But come, let us speak of something else. Do you like stories? Good. Then close your eyes and listen to the rhythm of life. Did you know that just below the surface of your skin, caged beneath your bones and muscle for protection, there is a divine flame burning? A woman's passion and curiosity her intuition and independence, her cunning and magic are born of this internal inflagration. And it is because of this flame that women, in all their forms, are powerful beings. Yet in spite of a woman's power, there are places, beings, ideas, 
that threatened to suffocate the flame, leaving an empty shell in its wake. This is a story of such an idea. Listen well, child. Our story begins somewhere not far from here, hidden behind a magical forest in a great kingdom. What makes this kingdom great are the unspoken, unknowable histories of its people. To the casual visitor, it is a kingdom like every other, until you know of her. She came into the world silent as the grave, while her mother stretched and tore to bear her. The poor woman was not ready. The daughter she had prayed for after each male child was born finally arrived, and yet she knew she would not be able to raise her. She begged for God to intervene. She bargained with the fallen, offering her soul for time. No answer came from either. When I arrived to return her to the great flame, she was broken beyond any conceivable ache. But a mother's love knows no bounds. Wanting more than anything for her daughter to not suffer the same fate as she had, she begged me to be the child's godmother. I had never before taken an active role in a mortal life, but the thought of the experience, in spite of my nature, filled me with a longing I had never felt. In answer, I placed the girl in the well-worn crib and took the woman's hand. Her soul clung to me tightly as I laid her to rest. It would be some time before she would be ready for another cycle. True to my unspoken promise, I stood in as godmother, disguised as some distant cousin no one seemed to remember. For the first time in my endless existence, I was acutely aware of the passage of time in the mortal sense. In one soft exhale, my goddaughter transformed from a squalling infant into a budding girl who was teetering on the precipice of womanhood. If I turned my gaze from her for even a moment too long, her metamorphosis would be complete. We would meet again as I returned her soul to the great flame. But that is not what I wanted. I wanted to be near her, to experience life through her short but meaningful existence, to guide her as her mother could not. She hungered for knowledge in the same manner a pauper craves a morsel. I taught her the names and uses of every plant and herb found around the kingdom, and just when I thought I could know no greater happiness, our relationship deepened. Godmother, what was my mama like? Would you like to meet her? She's alive? I'm afraid not, child, but that doesn't mean you can't know her. I touched my lips to her forehead and pushed every happy memory of her mother I'd gained, both by observation and through the transference that occurs at mortal death into her. 
Her mother as a child, dancing under purple-leaved trees with a daisy chain crown woven into her braids, the divine flame still burning brightly. <laughs> the romantic side of her parents as she was courted fiercely by the boy who would become her father. The moment her mother held her for the first and only time. Who are you? I am neither man nor woman, but all experiences in between. I am eternal truth, the great equalizer, guardian of the source of life, death and rebirth. I am keeper of the flame, chronicler of moment and memory, but most importantly, I am your godmother. Close your eyes, child. I have something to show you. I took her hand gently and guided her where no mortal had ever stepped foot. I bade her open her eyes and watched as she took it all in. It is enchanting to observe another discovering what is to you commonplace. Her eyes soaked up the dancing flames adorning the billions of candles surrounding her. She turned round and round slowly, trying to estimate the multitudes. Then she noticed the great flame itself, a large fire of multiple colours burning brightly in an alcove. This is the cave of light, and that is the great flame where all life is born and to which you return when your candle is snuffed out. Each candle is a mortal life. Would you like to see yours? At a rare loss for words, she nodded. I took one step in the direction of her candle and she moved toward the spot as if drawn there by some unseen force. She removed a large lavender candle from its place on an inset. By this candle you can see that you are called to be a great healer, child. You have a gift to give the world. You will heal the sick and comfort the dying. Consider this as mortal training in life and death. For one day you will be my apprentice. Everyone must retire from their mortal coil and return to the flame for a short respite. It is death's duty to ease that transition. There were so many questions, and I answered each one simply and patiently until she had exhausted herself. I brought her back home to begin the next chapter of her story. Before long, she became the healer she was destined to be. The training I'd given her in her youth had proven extremely useful. She learned to trust her intuition and very seldom would she call on me for consultation. She was a self-made legend. News of her abilities spread from village to village, kingdom to kingdom. The sick and dying would travel from near and far to seek her healing and comfort. I was extremely proud of her. Yet, there was a mounting frustration rising inside of her that, try as she might, she could not hide. Why can't I heal everyone? It's unfair. That is not the way life works. What truly troubles you, child? 
Not long ago, there was a man who came to me for help. There was no treatment I could give him that would have saved him. He refused to accept condolences and left angry. Well, that wasn't his fate, was it? I saw him just today at the market. He told me about a beautiful healer who brought him back from the brink of death where I could not. The woman you speak of is no healer, child. She is a weaver. A weaver? Weaving is the ancient practice of using the divine flame inside of yourself to repair small tears in the web of life. The soul must be free of any impurity, lest the flame consumes it, ending its cycle for good. I want to learn. Weaving is not the path your life chose. You chose my path. You taught me to heal when you could have just as easily taught me to weave. I will make you a compromise. I can give you an advantage others do not have, not even the weaver. I reached into the ether and brought a bouquet of flowers back into the physical world. These beauties grow close enough to the great flame that they contain the spark of life. Should you choose to accept them, the spark will bind to your divine flame and continue to blossom. Used correctly, they will serve you until the end of your days. How do I use them? Simply grinding one petal into a tea will revive those who would have been lost to you before. But you must take heed and use only one petal. Adding another would be to suffocate the spark. Not so fast. There are conditions, and they are non-negotiable. First, secrecy. The flower and its uses must remain hidden at all costs. Second, approval. Before each and every use of the flower, I must consent. And third, altruism. Once you accept this gift, the flower must never be used on yourself or those close to you. If you break even one of these conditions, the consequence is death. She accepted the flowers without a word, sealing her fate. In the years following, the life tea was only brewed thrice, each time with my consent. She was beginning to see her place in maintaining the balance of the universe. Life, she came to understand, was only meaningful when it was guaranteed to expire. But such things are difficult for mortals to accept. My goddaughter was no different in that. Late that winter, pestilence scorched the earth around her. The common folk endearingly named it the Grip, likening the icy squeeze of the lungs right before death with my touch. Much to the frustration and shock of my darling goddaughter, not a soul darkened her door to ask for help or comfort during the Grip. Though she had no way of knowing for certain without asking me, she assumed the weaver had taken her place. She withdrew into herself more as jealousy began to consume her. When I called on her, she was distant and distracted, divided by her present reality and the fantasy of her mind. If only she could prove herself. When the grip had already taken hundreds, 
a carriage arrived with a royal proclamation. The king was in the throes of the grip, and whoever could devise a way to release him from it would have their heart's desire so long as it was within his power to grant it. Desperate to prove herself, and in spite of my gentle warnings that the king was too far gone, my goddaughter set off for the castle. The castle was two days' journey on foot, and by the time she had arrived, the king, much to her dismay, was hale and healthy. The grip had been pried loose by the weaver, who was now set to become queen, not by her own heart's desire, but the king's. In gratitude for my goddaughter's intentions, the king offered her the position of royal healer, which she humbly accepted. As the day of the royal wedding drew near, the future queen became a shadow on the walls of my godchild's mind, growing denser and darker every minute she stayed in the castle. Envy whispered tales to her nightly like lullabies, until she was convinced that the weaver's unnatural meddling with the web of life had ultimately created the grip. Surely she has to be a source of evil. I must warn the king. Amidst these dark thoughts, soldiers appeared at her door. Where are you taking me? Let me go! Without a word, the soldiers led her to an open door. And when she looked inside, her breath caught in her throat. The weaver lay in her bed, pale and sweating. Yet in spite of the early spring sunlight coming in through the window, her ragged breath frosted in the air above her face. The grip. She has been infected. Leave me alone with her. Don't stand guard outside lest you catch it. Tell His Majesty I will do all that I can do to make things right. Godmother, what do I do? Release the grip. The weaver will not enjoy my embrace for many years yet. Life tea is inappropriate. The grip requires a stronger method. One petal directly under the tongue. She nodded obediently and slipped out of the room, returning as quickly as the great expanse of the castle would allow. I watched with pride as she stroked the woman's hair from her eyes, gently parted her lips and coaxed the petal under the tongue. As she waited for it to dissolve, frustration distorted her pretty face. But as I moved to reassure her, the weaver's eyes fluttered and her body sank deeper into her rumpled bedding. Her last breath crystallised in the air and gently fell like snow against her skin. All at once, the weaver's flame had been reduced to a smouldering heap. What have you done, child? But I already knew. Two petals stacked to appear as one. My love had blinded me to her intention. The weaver's blood was as much on my hands as hers. I swore to myself that if she ever defied me again, no matter how implicit I may feel, nothing would gentle my wrath. My goddaughter crafted a tale to tell the king, 
how the weaver had been too far gone, and how much she had done to try and save her life. Convinced, the king lavished his fickle attentions upon her, and in less than a year, she was crowned queen. Soon after that, the royal family welcomed a beautiful new princess into the world. It was the perfect fairy tale ending, if not for having forced the hand of fate. So happy was she with her new life and family that she had not noticed my absence. It was my own punishment as much as it was hers, even if she had not felt the pain of my absence as acutely as I did. And in spite of this, I still wanted what every mother truly wants for her child. A life full of happiness, absent of pain and heartache. But no one can avoid fate forever. Not even death. When the precocious little princess was nearing her sixth birthday, she became deathly ill. She was no longer able to run and play or hold court under the poplar trees with her small courtiers. Her bed became her throne, a damp cloth her crown. Neither the royal healer nor the healers of the villages could cure her. The queen refused to accept a tragic end for her daughter. She searched her thoughts frantically for what could be done. The mortal mind is a marvel. It is capable of creating horrific images and compelling the soul to carry out terrible deeds, yet will hide the memory so deep that the soul cannot recall from whence its wounds came. Guilt and perseverance build a fortress around shame, brick by shadowy brick. But no wall is without its imperfections, and it only takes one small crack for the light of truth to shine through. The memory of the bouquet and life tea hit her all at once. Was it still where she had hidden it all those years ago? The queen rushed to her old chambers, removed the loose stone near the fireplace, reached for the bouquet. <sighs> what she removed from that niche was not the vibrant, pulsing violet blossoms of memory, but shriveled, blackened remains of what once was life. No, 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 no! Gathering what she could of the crumbling remains, the queen hurried back to the princess. Night after night, while the rest of the kingdom slumbered, the queen was hard at work on the life tea. And each night, the tea failed. For what light can be had from a candle without a wick? On the night of the princess's sixth birthday, after the less-than-modest celebrations at the frail child's sickbed, I paid my godchild a visit. What are you doing here? It's the little princess's birthday, is it not? I have a gift to give. Get away from her! You would deprive the child of my gift? It's too soon. She hasn't even lived yet. Nor was she supposed to. This beautiful child has lived on borrowed time. I bargained with fate for your happiness. I made this girl's candle myself with the best bits of your mother's. Why would you do this to me? To you? 
I did this for you because I love you with the same fire that burns inside of you for her. I have given you as much time as fate would allow, a full six years. I can do no more, child. I am truly sorry. You are cruel. Cruel? To end her suffering? Her vessel will expire on this night, with or without my help. It is better I return her to the flame, lest she never find her way. Come, little one. As if she had been waiting for this her whole life, and in many ways she had been, her soul climbed out of its small confines and into my arms, so she could feel the love I've always had for her, though she did not know me. Together, we stepped out of the physical world and into the fire. Fallen one, then. You can have my soul, whatever you want from me. Just steal my daughter back from that old hag. I wish you would have taken me instead. Do you hear me? Take me! As her scream died, she opened her eyes to find herself in the Cave of Light surrounded by far more candles than she recalled from childhood. This time, the dancing lifelights before her were devoid of beauty. They only held the promise of retribution. This one has to be hers. It's still smoking. What are you doing? Resetting the scales. And whose scales are those, child? I need my daughter back. I will reunite you with her on one condition. Anything. I took the smoking candle she had been reaching for. This candle has been smoking for years. The tendrils of smoke search for the flame but will never find it. Not without your help. Bring me your candle, child. What happened to it? The same thing that happened to the flowers. What you've done to your soul, cutting it deeply and allowing the wound to fester without healing, ignoring the gravity of your decisions to upset the balance of life and death. I, I didn't know. But you did, child. Greed spoke louder than reason. Now use your candle to light this one. Only the one who smothers the flame may rekindle it. The weaver has been trapped between worlds, unable to take solace in the flame. Ease your burden and let her rest. Without a word, the queen obediently extended her candle toward the weavers. The smoke slithering into the air retreated in response, coiling around the wick until it reformed into flame. Thank you, child. There is hope for you yet. 
Now that poor woman can rest and be reborn when she is ready. Through the Queen's tears, she offered me the most genuine smile I had received since she was a girl on my knee. For a moment, she was not the regal woman standing before me, but the lost child looking to me for all of the answers. I love you, child. I always have and always will. What are you doing? I too must right my wrong. What are you talking about? I know your heart. I always have. I inadvertently fed to the darkness when I turned a blind eye to your envy. I thought I was allowing you to make your own mistakes. I tried to warn you, to deter you. And the weaver... I was supposed to have taken you then. I promised you what would happen if you broke the rules. But I loved you too much. And for allowing you to live, I am truly sorry. This was my mistake. The happiness I thought I was giving you was tainted from the beginning. You said you would give my daughter back. I told you that I would reunite you with her. Where is she? In the flame. No! <laughs> Come now, child. It is time to rest. When you return, I hope you see more clearly. She fell into my arms, <laughs> sobbing. I held her close and filled my embrace with every ounce of love my eternal heart held for her as I soaked up her memories. She held me tighter and tighter until she was ablaze with an inferno as wild as her soul, until she was nothing but flame. What's that? Oh, it's more than just a story. Do you not understand, child? You've finally come back to me. The flame burns brighter than ever before inside of you now. And this time, we will do things right. You've been listening to Feminist Fairy Tales, an audio drama podcast that reimagines the genre of fairy tales through a feminist lens. This was a special episode highlighting the work of one writer, one narrator, and one designer. This episode was performed by Bonnie Calderwood Aspinwall. Episode script by Sabrina Rose Bivens. Sound design by Rebecca Lynn. Directed by Madeline Regina.
Feminist Fairy Tales is produced by Madeline Regina, Van Winkle, Jenny Grinnell, Madeline Dorta, and Emma Love. Theme music composed and produced by Juliana Marin. We'll see you in two weeks for the next story in our season. Thank you for joining us in the Forest of Feminist Fairy Tales. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.